Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So today's episode is a heavy one. It is. So I'm just saying to you before we get into it to just um, be aware of what we're talking about before we get into it in case it's triggering for anyone. Um, we are talking today about men's mental health and the urgency to get talking. I speak with Matt Keenan, who is a mental health life coach and a mental health first aider. Um, he talks about his own mental health struggles and his battle with anxiety breakdown that he had and how close he came to suicide. Um, we spent quite a bit of time talking around suicide in this episode and in particular what we need to do to help to prevent it or if we think that someone in our lives might be heading down that road. So it's it's quite a difficult conversation to have. His story is fascinating and um, I'm so grateful that he came through what he went through um, and has come out the other side because he very, very nearly didn't. And his work now is just so important because he's helping to make a difference, to bring awareness to men's mental health. This isn't just for, you know, so any men listening, this is, you know, invaluable information, but it's also relevant to us women as well, to our own mental health, to our friends and to our family, but also to the men in our lives. So just so that we can be aware, you know, to how to look after our sons, our husbands, our dads, our cousins, our friends, whoever. There's just so much valuable information and great advice. And he really just talks about the importance of talking about it, but not just talking, but the importance of actually just listening. We talk, so we talk a lot around suicide. We talk about mental health in general. We talk about, he gives his opinions on medication versus therapy. And we talk about, you know, society's pressures and what's causing the issues around mental health and how it's not our fault and what we can do to protect ourselves. So I really hope that you find value in this conversation. Um, like I said, if you feel like it's a little bit too close to home and, you know, that you've been um, affected by suicide recently um, and you feel not ready to listen to this episode, um, I totally understand. But anyone who thinks, you know what, I have people in my, my life that I need to watch out for, which uh, most of us do. And um, this is definitely worth a listen. So uh, without further ado, here is Matt Keenan. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Okay, how are you doing? Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. I am really looking forward to this conversation. I know it's probably going to be a heavy enough one, but it's a conversation that it's a topic that we definitely need to be talking more about for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so before we go into and like, because I do want to dive into your story and kind of, you know, we can kind of share a bit about my story and stuff um, around mental health. But do you want before we do that, do you want to just talk a little bit about what you actually do now? and kind of what your work is, what your mission is with, with your work, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So I now I am a mental health life coach, um, mainly for men. I do have a few female clients, um, but it's mainly for men, a, a men's mental health advocate. Um, and I also do corporate training and seminars and workshops around suicide and, and, and mental health. So that's kind of what my, the anxious lad limited is, is my company. And that's what we, that's what we do. Okay. So you do, you have your own podcast, which is, is it called the anxious lad as well? It's the anxious lad as well. Yeah. 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 So, and so you do that, you do the podcast, you do coaching and you do seminars, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So I do <clears throat> mental health first aid. Um, so I do training for companies 
where I go in and deliver a, a, a training package, say, um, in around mental health and certify anyone who takes the, the program as a, a fully accredited certified mental health first aider. Um, similar in the same way that you'd be certified to be a physical first aider or a lifeguard or anything like that. It's the same kind of thing. So it's it's all around trying to raise awareness around mental health. Um, and, and as I said, specifically from a male perspective, and we'll, we'll get into why <laughs> it's more around the male perspective later on, I guess. Um, and then I have the podcast, which the podcast kind of started all of it, really. Um, I got into doing the podcast a few years ago. Um and again, that was a, a way of trying to raise more awareness around men's mental health and getting lads to talk about mental health uh, and yeah. sharing their stories and stuff. So, yeah, there's the, there's the podcast, there's the life coaching, and then there's the corporate side of it where it's training and seminars and workshops around mental health. That's amazing. I yeah, never heard of mental health first aid like that, like every company. Like it shouldn't it shouldn't it be mandatory that with public sector, private sector, that every organization should have one designated person who is... Um, qualified in mental health first aid just to be someone to go to yeah i mean that it, it's it's a funny one like because the conversations i have with people it's almost 50 50 some people will have heard of it some people won't um but as you say okay absolutely it should be something that every company should be doing um and should be doing a lot more of it what, what i find interesting about it is is you know mental health is really starting like we're getting better at having the conversation around it it is a lot more open in in discussions it's a lot more open in in society i guess now um than, than it was say, even when you and i were growing up as kids and stuff do you know what i mean you didn't talk about mental health you didn't really know what it was um and any idea you had around mental health was probably an asylum or somebody do you know what i mean but i think as I said, we're getting better at talking about it, but in terms of, of having mental health first aiders and, and, and people trained in that, yeah, absolutely, we need to be doing a, a lot more of it. Yeah, and I think it is, it is great that we're talking more about it, and I think probably, you know, the growth of technology and, you know, access to, you know, a lot more information on the internet and stuff has really helped mm-hmm. with that um, for Ireland to kind of catch up, I suppose. But, um, yeah, like growing up, like I like as a teenager myself, like... I remember like when I started, like I suppose I probably had my first panic attack. Well, I wasn't a teenager. I was probably 21 when I had my first panic attack. But I remember genuinely believing I was weak. Like I was, I genuinely yeah. believed that people that struggled with mental health issues were like, it, like it was a condition, you know, you yeah. either did or you yeah. didn't, yeah. you know, that, it, that I genuinely thought that I wasn't as good as other people. I wasn't as strong as other people. And because and that was back in the early 2000s, yeah. not even early 2000s, that was mid 2000s. Yeah. That. So like, and I didn't know of anyone else. It was only when I started talking about it a few years later that other people were like, oh yeah, no, I, I had like, people didn't talk about it. It was like, we all suffered in silence and pretended, go out to the pub on a Saturday night, pretend like, pretend everything's okay. The few drinks help. And then you absolutely like suffering um, psychologically for days after your night out yeah. and uh, just doing it on repeat for fucking years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. <clears throat> and even from, you know, from my perspective, I can echo that as well. Absolutely, you know, I I always knew, um, I I kind of struggled with anxiety. I guess I just never really knew what it was. Do you know what I mean? And and then it would manifest itself in in many different ways. Um, until a couple of years ago, I think lockdown kind of just magnified it, exacerbated it to a degree. Um, I had a really good routine 
prior to going into lockdown in terms of, you know, leaving the house, going to the office, work, kids, housewife, you know, all of that samey, samey kind of stuff every day that kind of keeps you in a good routine. Um, but then lockdown just, you know, threw a, threw a light over the whole thing and my anxiety just started getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and it's funny, like I, I had done different types of counseling over the years, whether it was for, as I said, like my anxiety manifested in different ways. So there was times where I did, you know, anger management because I'm just a big ball of anger at the moment. I need to sort, <laughs> I need to sort this out. What is it? Um, and it never really worked. I did bereavement counseling after, you know, losing people close to me and stuff. And um, it was only after the, I, I ended up having a full on breakdown basically in during COVID, during lockdown. Um, the doctor put me on, antidepressants he said i was suffering with clinical depression gave me medication and i felt okay for a couple of weeks you know um but it was like you know there's the meds they'll help you out maybe you should go and talk to somebody it was really like a passing comment do you know what i mean um so i got and i guess in my naivety i i guess i thought look the tablets are going to work do you know what i mean um they just made it worse like worse really Oh, it was yeah, and I like, and the thing is, look, I talk about it on my own podcast, right? I, I kind of look at the, the the medication as a horses for courses scenario. They will suit some people, they won't suit others, and there's so much evidence and research to 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 back up either one of those claims. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, I'm a firm believer in like that. It depends on the person, but that the, regardless whether you take the medication or not, it isn't the cure. No, it's no. it's the aid to help you get to the cure, but it's not. It's never going to fix the problem. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's the thing. Like I'm, and I need to be very careful about how I I talk about this as well because I'm not telling people not to take it, and I'm not telling people they have to take yeah. it. It's it has to be a personal decision yeah. between you, your doctor, and preferably your your psychiatrist or your your um, psychotherapist counselor. That that kind of thing. Yeah, let's take this take this from your story anyway for now and yeah, um, that's okay. you know so that you can talk freely about your experience and um we'll go from there yeah cool um so like i said like i i had a full-on breakdown um at one point during during the lockdowns uh, and as you know look we had severe lockdowns here it was mental um some of the stuff we did you know not being able to leave the house only moving a kilometer away from it, all of that kind of stuff it just and I was working for a tech company at the time and I was just, we, we got really, really busy because obviously everyone's locked down. Everyone's working remotely. Anyone working in the tech world, well, like I was doing 12 and 13 hour days easily, you know, without even breaking a sweat. So it all just, everything just added to the anxiety and then the full on breakdown happened. I went to the doctor. He said, right, look, you've got, you know, I was in with him for maybe five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, he said, you've got, clinical depression um there's tablets there are ssris so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors is what it stands for um and they can be used to treat depression or anxiety or both right um so when he gave me the prescription what was funny about it actually was i <laughs> i went into the doctor's surgery got the prescription picked them up on the way out because the pharmacy is literally next door um, after getting the prescription, I walked across the road to a estate agent and picked up the keys to the new house that we just bought. So for the first few weeks, I was on cloud nine anyway. Do you know what I mean? I had taken some time off work. 
uh, getting the house ready, all of that. So I kind of felt maybe the meds are working. But as everything started to settle in the new house and I'm back working and all that, I could start to see the cracks forming that it wasn't working. The doctor had said, look, if you can give me a call in a month's time, see how you're getting on. So I did that. I gave him a shout. He said, look, they're not working. I don't feel like they're working for me. So he increased the dosage and said, give me a call in a month. Rang him in a month, increased the dosage. And he did that about six or seven times. So I went from being on the smallest dosage of a really strong one. Um, I went from 37, 37 and a half milligrams up to like nearly 265 milligrams in the space of about six months. So by the time it got to August, except I was just a shell of myself. I couldn't understand what was going on. I know I'm quite a tactile person anyway. Um, so I'm quite cuddly with my wife and my kids and that kind of stuff. That was all out the window. Um, I just, I, I didn't know who I was. I was just an absolute shell of myself. Um, I started drinking a lot more. It would get to the weekend. and Not that I was drinking every night of the week, but it would, it would get to a night where we're having a couple of glasses of wine and I would be hammering a bottle out of it in minutes. Uh, and then looking for more drink, or if we if we went out for a couple of drinks, I just I didn't know when to stop. Do you know what I mean? You probably felt better when you had the few drinks, did you? To to a degree, yeah. I mean, I I think I was just drinking to oblivion at that point. You know, I I hated myself. I hated what I was doing. I could see, you know, how much of a <laughs> how much of an asshole I was being to people around me. Um, so it was just a way of of escaping the whole thing. And then it got to the point then where the only option for me that it felt like was to end it all. Um, and I had, I had thought about it quite a lot, um, sort of around the July, June, July, August time. Um, and then there was one day, um, around, and this is the thing, it, it there, there's a bit of a blur there as well because of the meds and, and everything else. It, it was around mid late August time. I, I got into the car and I said, right, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm checking out and there's a stretch you'll, you'll know it there's a stretcher out between the Bray North and the Bray South exit um, there's a couple of big road barriers on the side of it so the logic was and it, this is how much research I, I kind of put into it so in Ireland um, if, if 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 the coroner and the state pathologist can't rule a traffic accident as suicide because anything could have happened, you know, a car, a, a, another car could have swerved or a cat or whatever. Uh, I could have been looking at my phone and, and the car veered off. So insurance companies have to pay out on uh, road traffic like accidents. Even if, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the company I was working for, I had a pretty big death and service package, which would have set the family up for years afterwards uh, financially. So that was the idea was to get into the car and drive it as fast as I could into one of the road barriers on the N11 just around the corner from the house. Um, now, luckily, I didn't. I, I kind of in tears on the N11 in the car, knowing what I was about to do. And I could feel, you know, the little bumps you feel when you go too far to the verge. Um, and I kind of snapped me out of it. And I just, I kept going. And then I was thinking of, of Martina and, and our, our three kids. And I was just a, a ball of, of mess in, <laughs> in the car. Um, I got home kind of sat in the car for ages i got out of the car and went down the seafront down to the beach and just sat i think i had another argument with my wife when i got back um and i just stormed out of the house and, and i sat on bray seafront for jeez, it could have been three or four hours um 
And that's when I kind of realized, right, you need to sort your head out properly. Like the, the meds aren't working. Whatever you're doing now is just, it's not working. You need something drastic, something different. Um, so a couple of days later, I, I started looking for a, a therapist, a counselor. I fe- found a really, really good psychotherapist in, in Bray. Uh, and she started to get me back and back stronger. Um, and it was funny, like during, I think it was, probably eight, nine, ten sessions maybe where the therapist realized that I don't have depression and I probably shouldn't have been on that medication. I, I suffer really badly with anxiety um, and I wasn't understanding my triggers. I wasn't understanding what my stresses were. Um, and until I started to deal with all of that, it would have continued. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, right, I need to come off these meds because they, they're not lending themselves well to me. Um, they're, they're not for, from from my perspective, they're not fit for purpose, um, and the only way I can kind of get through this is is by doing some really deep introspective work on me uh, and understanding, you know, how bad my anxiety is, understanding what the triggers are, understanding how to have those conversations with people, especially my wife and kids, to say, look, that's a trigger for me. Stop, because as I said earlier my anxiety would manifest itself in different ways. So I'll see something that maybe my wife or kids won't see. I'll get frustrated about it. And rather than just having an open dialogue, I might snap or scream or shout or, you know, slam doors and storm out or whatever. So it's really trying to understand how all of that fits into daily, daily life. Um, so luckily I, I came off the meds. Um, thankfully, I, and I stayed working with the, the therapist for, for a good few months afterwards. Um, and then everything after that, it was kind of like, right, I need to do something with this. I need to, I can't go back to the corporate world. I can't go back to, to doing that, that kind of work after coming so close to taking my own life and, and looking at, you know, why did I not talk about it before? Why was there not any, not, not so much that there was, because there is help out there, but why is the help not as readily available as it should be? Why yeah. is the education about it? You have to seek it. it. You have to seek yeah. the help. And if yeah. you're in that situation, you might not have the skills to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny, like even, you know, in, in, again, with all the, the, the research and studying and everything I've done since it's like, you know, nine times out of 10 men will only seek out that help when they're at absolute rock bottom. And that's what we need to change. You know, you shouldn't be getting to that point before you can put your hand up and say, right, I need help. Do you know what I mean? And and it's funny, like the, the analogy I use all the time and even on my own podcast in in terms of like medication and counseling and stuff is like like almost like the sports scenario right so you're playing a, a, a football match a hurling match whatever it is um <clears throat> you get a bad knock you're on the ground you know you can feel your leg is twisted your back is done in your knees whatever and um, the first thing you're going to do is put your hand up and ask for help right and the coach manager whatever runs on with the magic sponge in the water um and you probably have to go to the doctor because you've, you've done something, you've torn a ligament, you've pulled a muscle, you've, you've whatever. So the doctor's going to give you possibly, probably some sort of pain relief medication. But he's also going to tell you to go and see a physio because there's only so much the doctor can do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's where most of the work then is going to be done. So, so the, the meds the doctor gives you in that scenario is just, as you say, it's just to kind of mask it, just to numb the pain almost until you get to see a physio and that's where the work is done. And even then, not all of the work is done within the counseling session. It's done afterwards when you have to go home and 
think about what you've talked about and look at what you've been discussing and look at your behaviors and look at you know how you've acted in certain situations and how you can change it that's where the real growth and and, and the real healing starts to starts to happen so um it's interesting what how we can again as a society uh, we can put so much trust and faith and everything into people when we talk about you know breaking a leg spraining an ankle pulling ligaments tearing muscles but when it comes to mental health we, we just don't you know we, there, there's still that stigma associated to it um and again it's a, it's only when you hit that rock bottom area that you know you'll finally say right i need help or worst case scenario is you don't seek help and then something really bad happens which happens all too often to be fair unfortunately you know, yeah this, this yeah. is why like this is such a serious issue and um i know on this podcast a lot of what we talk about is around women's health and um every now and again we we, t- we touch on like you know we've touched on kind of men's fat loss and fitness a little bit but mm. i think this is a really important topic because you know a lot of us have husbands partners uh teenage sons I have yeah. a 13 year old son and I have a 13 year old son who uh, I won't talk about too much because he wouldn't want me to, but um, he's not a talker uh, as a lot of teenage boys are not. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, naturally as a mother, and I know a lot of mothers listening to this and not, there are men that listen to this also, but um, I know my audience is mostly female um, will have young men in their lives that, and older men that they would um, be worried about. And we all hear the, these stories of, and, and this is why I find it so fascinating to listen to your story of being in that situation where you were so close to it, because all too often you hear about a man that does something like that, follows through with it, and people will say it was out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's not yeah. out of nowhere. They're just no. really, really fucking good at hiding it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you know, and it's, it's interesting, like, when... <clears throat> so I've done a few courses obviously lately to, to to i guess get myself into a certified position where i can talk about this and do you know the courses that i do with companies and stuff and um i'm a a suicide first aider right so that basically means that i can if i'm having a conversation with somebody i can spot what they call invitations so it's how somebody's talking right and then it's not so much about what to say most of it is about what not to say because if somebody's in that mindset where they're considering suicide, um, what you say is is very, very important. And what you don't say is even more important because you could end up, we give you an example, right? If somebody was to say, I'm stressed, I'm this, I'm that, you know, but it's okay. I know what I need to do. That's an invitation, right? Mm-hmm. Now, most people would kind of say, what do you mean? You're not, you're not going to do something stupid, are you? That's the worst thing you can say to somebody. Because what you're what you're going to do straight away is they're going to go in their mind they'll go well no it's not stupid so I'd answer and then they'll just put a wall up they go no 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 I won't I won't and that's it conversation over so it, you need to be very very careful about how you have the conversations with people and generally ask the direct question so if somebody's in that mindset and they give off you know some of these invitations say are you talking about suicide the shock of that direct question will nearly shock them into answering the question truthfully. They actually, yes, I am. Okay, what do we need to do? And then there's, yeah. you know, there's so many support structures out there. You know, you've got Aware, you've got Piazza House, you know, you've got uh, Samaritans, all of that kind of stuff, um, different healthcare centers and all the rest of it. But it's it's more about what not to say really than what about to say. But I think, you know, kind of back to your point with, you know, having 
teenage sons, you know, brothers, husbands, cousins, dads. We need to get better at making men talk about mental health. Okay. You know, because at the moment there is that massive stigma about it and, and you only need to look at the statistics of it. So women are five times more likely to talk about mental health. Men are three times more likely to die by suicide. So when you look at these statistics, you're you're talking anything between 75 and 78% of global suicides are men, which is a massive, massive number. And it's again, it's down to the fact that we're going to be perceived as weak. We're going to be perceived as um, yeah, weak, I guess is probably the only way to read the, the, the big one to, to put on it. You weak know? as a failure, as yeah, not yeah. living up to our expectations. And, exactly. And exactly. Women, women are better at looking after each other. Like if you look at it even, you know, in their in the older years, like you always see groups of old ladies together and they look after each other. And quite often if you see an elderly man, he can quite often be on his own. You don't see as many groups of, you know, old men or in general, just women from a young age, from when they're like kids, then, you know, teens, mothers, like they tend to, to always like look after each other. Men. And it's funny, I see it with, um, like with my own husband, Dave, and with my dad as well. Like, you know, apart from the workplace, as men start to settle down and have kids and wives, they tend to stop socializing because the only so and the only socialization now obviously I'm generalizing um a lot of the socializing particularly in Ireland and I know in the UK as well is in the pub yeah. and when that gets taken away and then when covid happened and people are taken away from the office situation or like from in my dad's situation when he retired and it was a very male dominant job suddenly that male camaraderie is gone mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Absolutely. they can feel and if they have a mindset of responsibility where, you know, they're looking after their household, their bills, their mortgage, their kids, every, you know, mm-hmm. and they feel like that they can't hold it all together. Yeah. It's a recipe yeah. for disaster, really. It, it is. It is. And the interesting thing, like you quite rightly said there, right, that women do look after it after each other a lot better right like even my wife like martine would say it all the time some of the best counseling sessions she has is a glass of wine and her friends right because we you will talk right let's be honest right yeah. like you i'm sure right and i and you know i, I know dave <laughs> he's a lovely guy i love him to bits we worked together years ago but i'm sure there's times in your marriage where he's wrecked your head <laughs> right yeah, and you might absolutely. sit yeah so you're going to sit down with the girls and have a glass of wine and say do you know what lads like he's I'm doing bitch head about Dave. yeah absolutely well to a degree you're not oh, bitch really but you're venting right you're venting you're yeah, talking no, about it well yeah you know, we do we can out about is, the men yeah, yeah we can about is, the men and all the problems yeah pretty much yeah yeah but like look i mean like like everyone can look you're a married couple with kids mortgage bills all of the responsibilities that everybody has right um you're going to go and talk about it and and you've learned to do that over years, you know, through teenage years and up into early adulthood and all the rest of it. So you, you've got your group of mates who you can talk to about, vent, discuss what's going on, the stresses, the anxiety, your panic attacks, all of that kind of stuff. You can you can confide in your friends about. Men don't because we've never learned how to. Do you know what I mean? And the interesting part about it is on the one side, like we don't know how to have that conversation with the lads. Do you know what I mean? Um, but on the other side of it is even when somebody, even when a lad tries to have that conversation with one of his friends, he doesn't know how to respond to it. Do you know what I mean? So it's not even so much as that we, we don't talk about it. We really don't even know how to actively listen 
when somebody is trying to have that conversation, you know? And as you said, a lot of the social thing was done around the pub. So two or three points into it, you're not really going to start talking about it, you know? And you're just masking it and covering it up or the other lads don't know how to talk about it or it's like, mate, I'm out unlicensed tonight. I don't have the wife and kids. Shut up. Let's watch the football. You know, you'd be grand tomorrow. Do you know or what I mean? you start to and, feel better after a few points and it doesn't exactly. seem like a problem in the moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think definitely from, you know, we need to kind of catch this in the board very early on. So, you know, we need to start talking about, you know, mental health at, at a very young age. You know, I, I believe there needs to be curriculums inter- introduced into schools um, to, to talk about mental health as well as physical health. Um, certainly when it gets to teenage years um, and you've got all the stuff that teenagers go through anyway, you know, the amount of testosterone flying through their bodies, I've uh, my son is 20 now. We had a couple of years there where he was a teenager and, and all the, the usual kind of stuff happened. Um, and then like that, it's trying to get the lads to talk about it, trying to get young lads to say, right, well, what is going on right now? What's happening? You know, um, we just need to start opening the conversation up in a much more kind of accepting way to normalize it is, is the only way to, 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 to kind of put it really like we have to normalize men's mental health because it is a massive issue it's not something we speak about and because of all of that there are hundreds of thousands of men taking their lives every year yeah you made such a good point there as well that you know everyone's like oh we need to talk more we need to but what you've said we need to know how to to respond yeah yeah. is actually because there's no point in fucking talking if someone just looks at you and smiles and nods or says oh it's going to be okay it's like <laughs> well that's not going to help really like yeah yeah and again like and it, it is a bit of a it's a tricky one because even as 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 men right we we automatically try and go into fix it mode right um and i'm sure you've seen like like martin used to go mad at me over this one um she'd come in and having a bad day at work oh this has happened that's happened blah, blah. and i go into but you know what you need to do you need to do and then you just start talking out nine times out of ten you know she doesn't want to hear my it, it just just shut up and listen that's all you need to do just shut up and listen just let me vent let me talk um but a lot of guys will get uncomfortable with those conversations so they start going to fix it mode or they they push the conversation down or they try and deflect it to something else do you know what i mean um what you need to do lads is is at that point if somebody is if, if you can tell that one of your friends male friends specifically is looking like he's trying to tell you something shut up and listen just you know be honest i don't really know how to respond to that i've not been in that situation ask questions you know what exactly is happening how do you feel what's going on here what are you thinking of doing um all of that kind of stuff but nine times out of ten just be quiet just listen because he probably doesn't want you to try and fix anything for you he probably just wants somebody to listen to him just for once i'm going through a bad patch i need to have a conversation with somebody do you know what i mean um but we do we get nervous and we get Oh, I don't know what I don't know what to do. Um, and Such an Irish thing, isn't it? <laughs> it but it is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you, you just—it's almost like you get caught on the spot. You know what I mean? And you, you don't really know how to respond to it. You don't know what to say. And like I said earlier, you could end up making it worse. You know, by you could end up reinforcing that ideation in his in his mind that men shouldn't talk. Do you know what I mean? By dismissing it or by saying, ah, you'd be grand. Oh, look, it's only your head. Have a couple of points, you'd be fine. That could have, like, your mate could come to you 
and maybe it is over a point. Maybe it's on the golf course or in the snooker hall or wherever, you know, on the football pitch, whatever. And you can see he's looking down or whatever the case is. Is everything all right? Not really. I'm going through a bit of a bad patch at home or whatever the case is. You know, you can kind of tell us something. That could have taken him months to build up the courage to say that to somebody. And by not being able to recognize that and by not being able to understand it um, and, and maybe by dismissing it, you could just reinforce the fact of something he's been told for years through society that men shouldn't talk about mental health. And what you've just done there is you reinforce it. He's never going to open his mouth again and he's going to continue to suffer in silence. So to listen, what what would be the next steps then if you did have someone that came to, to help ask, that asked for your help and you're listening to what they're saying and you're saying, you know, I'm here for you or whatever, but should you then guide them towards somewhere? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it depends on the severity of the conversation. You know, it's it, it, like if he's, if he's asked the question, like, what's going on? What, what's happening at home? Why are you feeling down? Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious? You know, and, and always ask the question, have you thought about suicide? Because that direct question will shock that's them. So into, interesting. Into, into, I would have thought that's not yeah. a question. It's funny. I like... I like, especially even like with my son, I like, it's not something, not that I would go out just randomly ask him that, but I feel like it's mm. something that I, it, you know, I'm nearly afraid to talk about because I don't want to give oh, any ideas. Yeah. Like you're literally afraid you're going to give someone the idea or something. I don't know. That's my, in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a time and a place for that question, obviously as well. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it, you're not going to say it to everybody as soon as he <laughs> says, I'm, I'm having a bad day. You think, you know. Yeah. Um, just if you have a feeling, if it seems. If you've got a feeling. Intense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. And then That's like really I said, look, <clears throat> there's, 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 there's places everywhere for it. Look, you've got Samaritans, you've got aware, you've got Pieta house, you've got all of those places that you can go to, you know, there's, um, I mean, even in, in Bray, you only have to Google local counselling services and there's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 different places in, the, in in our town alone that you can go. And each one of them would have a plethora of counsellors that you can try and book in with and see. Um, you know, again, a big issue is is you know, probably the cost associated to it. Um, like you're going <laughs> to, and this is the funny side of it, <clears throat> We won't talk about it. We won't go and see a therapist. We'll, maybe we'll say the first part of call is always the doctor. And the doctor is a triage in this situation. You know, um, He's going to assess you within about 15 minutes. He's got a couple of yes, no questions to ask. And based on the answers you give him, he's going to, to a certain degree, he's going to be able to say, right, it, it's depression or it's anxiety or there could be, you know, something else there. there there could be you know adhd there could be bipolar there could be this there could be that you know there's a there's an assessment and a and a, and a, a, a list of questions he'll go through to, to to get to that point and we've no problem in paying 70 or 80 euro to go and see the doctor and get medication but again we have this thing it's like oh no no counseling is too expensive it's not you pay anything between 50 and 100 euro depending on the counselor you're going to spend that going to the doctor anyway yeah. So why not go to a counsellor? In in my opinion, why not go to a counsellor first? I wish I'd have gone to the, to a counsellor first, um, rather than going to to the doctor and going on medication. And and you know, look after you do a session or two with your 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 therapist, then you can have the conversation around medication. And you might find that you can go into your doctor then with a lot more a lot more education around yourself to say, look, I've I've been with a therapist for the last two or three months. Um, he or she believes I may have bipolar or I may have ADHD. I need to get the tests done to, to you know, 
catch all of this out. Um, I don't have depression. I know that it could be really bad anxiety. So you're going in with a lot more information. The doctors don't have time to fully quantify what your issue is within a 10 or 15 minute time frame. They just don't. And what, as I said, they're, they're acting as almost like a triage at the moment. You're coming in with a certain amount of symptoms. You're presenting yourself with a certain amount of symptoms. And this is the, the thing between depression and anxiety is there's so many overlapping symptoms that it's difficult to understand within a 15 minute conversation. Is it depression or is it anxiety? Because some of the symptoms are the same. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it can be. And then you've also got what they call situational depression. So it may just be that, you know, you're feeling depressed at a certain point in time because you've lost your job. You're going through a bereavement, um, you break up, whatever the case is. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are clinically depressed. You may be having a depressive episode, which is kind of what was happening with me. So my anxiety was getting so bad, I'd have a an outburst or as I said it manifests in different ways and then I might spiral for maybe three or four days where I'm in a depressive mood it's not that I have depression I'm just displaying depressive symptoms because my anxiety so I'm not dealing with the core yeah you didn't have the tools to to process through your emotions yeah but it's interesting what you're saying about going like potentially going to a therapist first because like what kind of what happened to me was it was I was having constant panic attacks like you know kind of Mm -hmm. completely getting in the way of my everyday life to the point I remember one time being so tense and stressed I actually pulled a muscle in my chest I thought I was having a heart attack I couldn't move any direction that's how tense I was like every evening I wasn't I couldn't sit and relax and watch TV because I couldn't breathe properly because I was I was just chronically stressed yeah, and yeah. like like that there was nothing in particular in my life you know I had gone through school college I'd started my job as a teacher you know everything was got like textbook going the way it was supposed to and then bam out of nowhere this started happening and I felt very out of control my own life so when like I was going to I went to the GP because initially I didn't know I had was having panic mm-hmm. attacks thought it was dying yeah. Literally thought it, you know, there was something yeah, yeah, chronically, yeah, yeah. there was something, yeah. you know, I had something terminal in my head. And um, so I had to go to the doctor, all the tests, you know, heart monitor, everything, everything came back clear. And um, they kind of kept sending me away, being like, you're Grant, you're Grant. You know, me and Dave had a trip to, this would have been 2008. We had a trip booked, or no, 2007, 2008. We had a trip booked to New York. And um, I I gone to the doctor like it was just I was like I can't go to New York I can't you know I, I'm not going to be able to you know even the thoughts of the flight the people mm. like you know I used to always like get really kind of out of body I just and he literally was like oh you'd be grand you know and there did checked my heart and all that kind of stuff and sent me off me and Dave went to New York and it was like the worst trip of my life like it and you know it's funny I still I need to go back because I need to I need closure on it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but when I came back like I remember just standing kind of at the waiting for like the ferry thing we were doing a trip and like literally just like crawling in my own skin like being like today I was like I need help I cannot do this anymore like it was just mm-hmm. pure hopelessness and going back to the doctor then and a different doctor in the surgery then uh, saw me and he was like, yeah, you have panic disorder. And it's funny, like I look back on it now at the time I was really relieved. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going insane. There's a name for it. You know, other yeah, people yeah, must yeah, have yeah. this. You know, so I felt yeah. then it made me feel less alone. Now I'm like, it, it annoys me now that there was a label put on it. But uh, at the time, and he's like, so he prescribed me um, SSRIs as well. Now, mm-hmm. very mild. He put me on Lexapro and I think it was like five milligrams of, of Lexapro at the right. time. 
Um, so it was, it was quite low and maybe it was only just a placebo effect, but he was like, you need six weeks on this and then you need cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. So, yeah. and I was like, should I not start the therapy? He's like, you're not ready for the therapy yet. You're in such a bad state at the minute. You need mm-hmm. to just get these levels up so that you can receive the therapy. So that was kind of my belief because that's, well, I just accepted it. That's what he told me. But interesting, yeah, yeah. I wonder if I'd just gone to the therapy, would I have actually needed the SSRIs at all? Maybe I would have, but it's just mm. interesting. Like I never just never thought of it. It was only when you said it, it made me question it a bit. Yeah, I mean, look, personally, I don't believe that anyone needs to be <clears throat> always on them. Do you know what I mean? Like I have friends of mine here were on antidepressants and SSRIs and they swear by the fact that you know they wouldn't be the people they are without them do you know what i mean um but then i, I look that. at them like and, and then i look at them and i'm like well, well what cbt work have you done what counselors have you seen what psychotherapy i, I haven't and you can't answer that question then yeah. you can't say you wouldn't be the person you are on them if you if you came off them because like at the and and, and look don't get me wrong there are look the medication is there for a reason right um it it does help in certain circumstances and i said to you very early on in it in that there's there's research to show both sides of that coin where it does work and where it doesn't and where it doesn't work it it can be fatal to 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 people do you know what i mean there are so many different side effects to them as well that you're you're not kind of told about um and this was the interesting like even from a from a male perspective like your libido goes down your sex drive goes down there's you know there's issues with sleep there's food there's you know how you're even thinking about yourself all of these different side effects start playing a role into your recovery while you're on the medication and if you're not doing any type of cbt work or working with a therapist while you're on it again that can send you into a spiral which is kind of what happened to 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 me um because a lot of the side effects had happened on on my end and i'm like what the fuck is going on what is wrong with me and you just keep questioning it and questioning it so medication is there it it does work you know for the vast majority of people i i get that 100 percent um but i think like i said like it should not be here's medication this will fix the problem it's you know here's medication and it i'm directing you to this here are a list of therapists this is the type of therapy that i recommend that you do you know get your name if you can't afford it get your name on a waiting list the wonderful therapist that i worked with at the time she was fantastic and she said, my, my price is usually, I think it was 70 euro an hour. She's like, mm-hmm. but I want you to go home and figure out what you can afford because I don't want the price to stop you coming. Yeah, and yeah, I thought yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. I think we agreed on like 40 euro, you right. know, and, yeah, and she did yeah. that for me for months. Yeah. And, yeah. The, the one, like, and the thing I want to say about anyone listening to this who is on, you know, on a, an antidepressant or, or any type of medication, that, that doesn't mean that it's wrong that you're on medication or anything like that. Or, and, but I just think it's important to know that... Um, now, I'm not talking, you know, about like, obviously that it depends that talk to your doctor as well, but you don't have to always, like, like you said, it doesn't have to be something you have to do forever. Like I was able to, with the help of my doctor and my therapist, then I came off the, the medication. Mm-hmm. I, after, I went back on it preventatively after I had my first two kids because, or, no, sorry, I came, I went back on it preventatively after my second child because I wasn't great after my first um, right, so, okay. um, and the, but then by the time it came around to my third child, I didn't need it anymore, and that is my why, like my really, really strong why for living a healthy lifestyle and doing the work that I do now, 
like you know why i prioritize my sleep drink plenty of water eat good quality food get plenty of exercise it's it's to keep my mind healthy as well as my body because it's just so important yeah. and yeah. it works and i'm not saying you, you're going to exercise or eat your way into feeling better when you're in the pits of depression or going through a lot but when you come out the other side prioritizing you is just so important prioritizing Absolutely. your physical health to help with your mental health i think yeah 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 and it's interesting you say right just there about you know going back on it preventively sort of after your second child right and this is one of one of the, the conversations i have with a lot of my clients um at the moment and it could be you know different stages in their life you know just about to break into a career uh after college you know where there are a few years in career they're looking to you know, level up and step up in, in the career sort of how do i navigate this how do i do that all of this kind of stuff one of the big ones that <sighs> A lot of men don't realize, and, and you've kind of touched on it there. We always talk about, um, what you call it, prenatal or, or postnatal depression, right? What a lot of men don't realize is their testosterone levels are going to drop by anything between 15 to 25% after the birth of a child. And that's something chemically in us that, that our testosterone levels come down so that we have a, a way of connecting more with, with baby, basically. Right. Yeah, and and the testosterone levels start to come back up as the baby starts to get that little bit older, right? Um, after the first few months. So what you find then is with like with first time dads or with, you know, couples who've been together for years and on their second or the third or their fourth child, they can have that drop in testosterone and then try to figure well, what the hell is going wrong? And then they end up working longer hours because they don't know how to explain it when they got home. They trying to push themselves harder and further in the gym or on the football pitch or whatever it is that they do. Um, and all of it is, it's just a little chemical dip in your testosterone because your body is trying to get you to connect with your new baby. That's it. It's trying to get you to be a little bit more tactile. It's almost like as well, like from a, you ever look at a, a, a new baby and uh, you always say it's the image of the father. Nine times out of 10, new babies are the image of the father. That's again, it's an old thing so that men recognize their child when they see it. You know, women are always going to do it anyway because you've, you've carried it and you've grown it and come out of you um but babies always look like dad within the first couple of months be of, of a way and like this is going way back when you know what i mean to 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 our dna and our chemical buildup as to being parents is so that we can recognize our child and see our child as men um and then the testosterone the drop in testosterone is to allow us to be that little bit more tactile with it because like you know Men are kind of like we're we're hunter gatherers. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of the way we we were way back when we started, you know, during evolution and all of that kind of stuff, where it was almost like mums go home and look after babies, dad will go and do this, but we need to be tactile with the kids, you know. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't realise that um the testosterone levels of certainly in new time dads or first time dads can play a massive part in men's mental health just after the birth of the child. So that's something you need to recognize and, and, and look at then as well. That's interesting. And that's not something that I ever knew. But um, now that you say it, it's probably very true. But everyone's so busy making sure the baby's OK and making sure the mother's yeah, yeah. OK. And the dads just tend to, you know, they wouldn't dare say anything. They kind of, you know, they struggle on through. And um yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. and even and even then again, right? And and again, look, apologies to to any of your listeners or whatever who have have gone through this. Anyone who loses a child loses a baby very early on, 
you know, if it's a if, you know, if it's a stillbirth or anything like that, it, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And I don't mean to diminish anything away from women when I say this. However, nine times out of ten, if dad is out and they know something's after happening with baby, the first question somebody asks dad is, "How's mum?" Yeah. No one ever asks how dad is. Yeah. It's always now again. That's not trying to diminish. No, anything. I don't think that, that sounds Women's like you're diminishing at all. I but, think it's. But, I think it's very true what you're saying. But from a, yeah, yeah. But from a, a social perspective and, and looking at well, how do we, you know, you, everyone always asks me, what can we do, you know, to make men talk about mental health? What can we do to make it more? Ask those questions to men too. Yeah, you know, and like I said, like they're, they're doing, yeah, yeah, they're dropping testosterone as I say, can go from anything from 15, 20, 25, depending on the person, they will see a drop, but everyone's going to be that. I think in some certain cases, it can be nearly a 30% drop in testosterone. So, if you couple that then with a, a, a with, with a parent, um, who's lost a baby, um, very early after it being born, if it was stillbirth or even a miscarriage or anything like that, no one asks how, how dad is doing it's always how mom naturally obviously because it it is a different kettle of fish with women i completely understand that but we do also need to understand what he's gone through you know yeah. because yeah. he's always going to feel like well i have to do more now i have to look after wife i have to do that and we start to then place all of those social stigmas on top of ourselves and take on the weight of the world but no one's asking how we're doing we need to be able to vent about all of that too yeah I wanted to just ask you a little bit actually about bringing it back to when you had the breakdown, because so what I would like to kind of, you know, be able to talk to people about is like, what are the warning signs? What kind, you know, what did, what was, you said that you had a breakdown. What was that? What does that mean? And um, what were you experiencing? What were you feeling? And maybe even in just slightly at the run up to it. Um, so that would, you know, any male listeners or female listeners that might be kind of on the brink of really, you know, everything's getting on top of them. When, like, what, what should they be looking out for to maybe prevent it happening and getting help before? Yeah. Um, again, like this is going to be a, it, it's going to be different for everyone. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and I guess, look, from, from my perspective, it was, there was a lot of anger in there for, for a good while, for a good few months. I was just, I was on edge all the time anything could set me off into like an it, it, just into an argument into a rage where i'd be screaming and shouting or or you know i take stuff out on on the kids or or with mark or you know my wife or, or whatever um and it was getting to the point where i was just arguing with everyone in the house all the time i was just you couldn't say anything to me without me just snapping do you know what i mean I was really agitated. I could, I could get aggressive really. Now, when I say aggressive, it wasn't physical. It was just screaming and shouting, you know, or yeah. I, I slammed the door. I, I can't tell you how many phones I broke within a couple of years because I just pick it up and put it across the room or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's what you need to look out for. He's not just angry. That's a symptom. There's okay. something else happening there. So it, it needs to be, we need to start recognizing that, okay, look, he's not just an angry person that's that's something else manifesting in a certain way that's his display of emotions that he's not been able to to regulate do you know what i mean um for me it got to a point where again there was another it was i don't know three four o'clock in the afternoon um I can't even remember what it, what fucking started it was probably the most innocuous and, and and that's the other side of it. it's probably the most innocuous thing ever you know martina could have said something completely random 
and I took it in a different way and an argument happened and we're I'm screaming and shouting at her and all of a sudden I just dropped to my knees in the kitchen bawling my eyes out like I, I don't know what's wrong with me you know um, my young lad was 15, 16 at the time literally had to pick me up off the floor because like I couldn't move it. It just it got to the point for for me where I was just I I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I I literally broke down in floods of tears, and I I kind of had this. I could see my wife upset in the corner. I could hear the the two kids, the two older kids, I should say, kind of shouting at us. I'm not shouting at us. I was saying, look, give it a rest, give over, stop. Do you know what I mean? And I could see the impact it was having on 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 them, and it was almost like that realization thing was like, "What the fuck is going on with you?" Like, you know, um, and I I literally, I, I I didn't know what to do anymore at that point. I just felt completely hopeless and useless, and everything else was like, "Right, what are we gonna do about this?" You know, and when I can, when I kind of calmed down and came back around to it, I sat with my wife and said, "Right, look, what what do we what what can we do? What what can I do?" You know, to, to, to have this, I guess the lucky side of it is is my eldest girl is is at the moment um, nearly finished her master's in psychology. So she had just gotten her degree in psychology when the breakdown happened. So that was helpful yeah. <laughs> to have to have a psychologist in the house. Do you know what I mean? Um, and we all kind of sat and we've we've in fairness in, in my house, we've always been very open about mental health anyway. You know, we've always spoken about it. We've never shied away from the fact that you know we've done counseling or we've done this or we've done that you know um even when the kids were younger through their teenage years that look if you need to go and talk to somebody go and talk to somebody it's not we we have to make it that open you know every conversation around the dinner table has to be um how are you feeling how are you doing is right we can how do we support you how do we do this there needs to be those open honest conversations all the time um and there's some things, obviously, look, as, as a parent, Kate, that, you know, even with, with your kids and, and with Dave, there's certain things that you can help and guide and support the kids with. There's certain things you just can't, you know, you don't have, let's say, the tools or whatever to help kids unpack anything that they're going through. You know, and that might be a little bit of trauma. It might be something that's happening in school. It might be a way that they're feeling. Um, it, but it's been able to recognize a change in behavior and, and recognize that he's not just screaming and shouting and slamming doors. He's not a destructive child. That's a symptom. That's a display of, I I kind of need a little bit of help. I need a bit of guidance, right? Don't meet their anger and aggression with anger as much as it's testing. <laughs> Don't meet their anger and aggression with anger and aggression, you know? Uh, kill them with kindness. What can we do to support you? What is going on? What's happening? And the more we start to have those open conversations with our kids, the the you know, it, it'll be a ripple effect down the generations. Do you know what I mean? Where hopefully my grandkids, your grandkids will will be able to, like mental health conversations will just be a thing of, it'll just be a normal thing, you know? Yeah. And just to give people the opportunity to say it, to say the really dark thoughts out loud, yeah. Yeah. you know, to be able to, instead of mulling, like, you know, trying to build up the courage to build up the courage to approach someone. Whereas if there's approachable conversations happening all the time, not that you can't, like we said, you don't have to constantly yeah. be like, you're not thinking of killing yourself, are you? You're not thinking, you know, you don't if you yeah, do that yeah, every yeah, day yeah, to your yeah. teenage son. But um, to just, yeah, like have those conversations and like, you know, how, like, I'm so grateful that you had that experience that you snapped out of it before you did something that could never mm-hmm. be undone. Not, not, there's plenty of, 
you know, men out there that were not as lucky to have that moment to snap out of it. And I suppose for all of us listening is to be able to be that person for someone to help to give them the opportunity to snap out of it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a, when you're in, you know, experiencing suicide ideation, it, it's, it's a very dark time. And it's, and again, from a protective perspective, right, we don't want to tell people around what we're thinking, right? And as you said, you know, every time you, you go to a funeral of, of, of somebody who's died by suicide, um, it is always that thing, Jesus, I didn't see it coming. Why didn't he say something? When it, chances are they probably did. We we just don't know how to pick up on, like I said earlier, on the invitations, you know, um, or, or it could be a case of we've said the wrong thing or we haven't said the right thing or we haven't done something and you've kind of reinf- maybe inadvertently you've reinforced their decision to do this. Do you know what I mean? Um, where they just feel like the only way out, they'll be better off without me. You know, they don't need me in their lives. They'll be much better off. All of that, you know, that's the kind of thinking that that goes on. That's a on. very difficult pill to swallow, though, for anyone who might have a loved one who has died by suicide to think, God, maybe it was something I said. Maybe, no, no, not not no, see that, and, and that's your side. It's not always the case, right? And 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 that's something that, and and even I, I'll be honest, like I've lost somebody very close to me through through suicide um a good few years ago and i've um like very close to me who who died and then i've also had friends who've died by suicide when i went and did the the suicide first aid training that was difficult to to sit through because there are invitations somebody who's considering suicide or who's thinking about suicide, they, they will put out what they call invitations. It's, it's a way of how can I get this person to talk to me about what I'm thinking about without actually saying what I'm thinking about. And, and that generally happens a lot. It doesn't happen in all the cases, but, but it does happen a lot. Um, and even like my daughter, as I said, in the middle of her psychology masters, she did that training to, because of her work. She did it. And she warned me about doing it first, you know, before going in. She goes, Dad, you're going to have to be very careful because just they're going to start talking about things that may trigger past memories and stuff for you. That's going to be difficult for you. As you said, a hard, a hard pill to swallow, but it's the reality of it. Okay. You know what I mean? We want to talk about mental health. We want to talk about, you know, reducing the suicide numbers. It is a harsh reality. People yeah. who are considering suicide will put out invitations. Not always, obviously, but they are there to a certain degree. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and somebody who does take their own life, you know, maybe you wouldn't have seen it at all. Maybe there weren't any invitations put out there. It, again, it's it's one of those ones, Kate. It, it, it happens with some, it doesn't happen with others. You know, when I talk about those invitations and I talk about maybe they tried to say something you didn't pick up on it, I'm, I'm generalizing that conversation there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's not yeah. always the case. But we just, we have to be, like you say, how do we stop it? How do we look at it? How do we do it? We have to be more aware. And that's the thing. Uh, we, we have to be more aware about the language that's used by somebody who is going through suicide ideation because it's not normal language. You have to really read between the lines about what they're saying. <clears throat> the only way we can do that is by being aware of the language, um, which kind of brings me on to something I'm doing after Christmas with the local, um, 
trying to work with local businesses and stuff around Bray where I'm going to hold some um, free events, basically, where I talk about exactly this. How do you spot those invitations? How do you spot those conversations? How do you spot those little telltale signs that somebody might be, whether it's living with depression, anxiety, anger issues, maybe they're thinking about suicide. How do we spot all of that? The reason why it'd be a hard pill to swallow, as you kind of said earlier, is because you don't know. And it's not your fault if you don't. You don't know what you don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not something that you can you take on yourself as a, that it's, that, oh, well, that was my fault because I didn't see it. You can never say that to yourself. It's not your fault. The problem is we don't have enough education out in the open about these topics. You know? So yeah. we, we need to start raising all of that awareness so much more. And hopefully start saving some lives. Absolutely. You know, that, Absolutely. So that all is not lost from who we've lost in the past, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not it's not an easy conversation to have, Kate. It really isn't. It's, it, it is a dark, it's a delicate subject. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think it's really important as well to say, you know, like some people listening will be very lucky and not be touched by any of the like not have had any of these issues in their lives or the surrounding people. But I would say very few at this stage, mm -hmm. because as the years have gone by and people are talking more about it, it's become really, really obvious that this is be like a result of the pressures of society today. Mm, yeah. We have too much stress, like, you know, too much weight on our shoulders and i'm talking male and female here it's not just um so like mental health issues are on the increase because of the amount of constant stress we have on our shoulders yeah. um so it's not your fault that you're suffering is, is what i'm kind of trying to say um, absolutely to people, absolutely yeah and that's the thing all right look it, it it's a combination of 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 so many different factors now right we've got so much access to like we we <laughs> I felt like an owlad a couple of weeks ago. Like I'm 41 now, but I felt like a really owlad a couple of weeks ago when I was kind of saying, you know, it was simpler when we were growing up as kids. We didn't have access to the internet and, and the amount of information that we have now. You know, you're constantly surrounded by information, you know. Um, work pressures, cost of living crisis, all of these, you know, buzzwords that everyone is, is throwing out is, is going to make you feel stressed and, and, and anxious and, you know, living from one month to the next, you know, um, payday to payday kind of stuff. It is going to get on top of you, absolutely. But you, you just need to start talking about it. It's that simple. <clears throat> just start having a conversation with somebody. Just that, you know, I'm stressed out this week because of that or because of this or work is getting me down or, or whatever the, the thing is. Just find somebody to have a conversation with about and what the thing thinking. is when you start talking about it you actually realize that you're not alone and that everyone's in the same boat and there actually is comfort in that yeah. and i think in relation to what you say like with social media and media and the stresses that that brings that we need to use that to our advantage okay so the reality is we're living with this mm -hmm. in this age of information clean up your social media get rid yeah. of any of the shit that makes you feel like shit fill it with stuff that inspires you that makes you feel good and use it to educate yourself and to find the answers or to find the solutions or to find the people that can help you yeah, that yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that we didn't have back 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and that's, a, that's a really, really good point you've, you've made there, Kate, as well, uh, in terms of your, your little echo chamber that you're in you know, with, with social media. So everything that you click on, that you like, that you interact with is going to keep following you around. Um, it took me 
I think once I came out of everything and came off the meds and, and was getting better, it took me a couple of months to remove all the shit from my social media, the stuff that wasn't helping me grow, I guess, as a person. Um, I, I don't see anything now on my social media is about global politics. I don't see anything about the news. I don't see anything about the war. You know, in in Israel and stuff in Palestine that's happening at the moment. I just I don't want to say. It's not that I'm. <clears throat> it's not that I don't want to know about it, right? Um, I'll sit and I'll watch the nine o'clock news of an evening and I'll catch up. You know, give me forty minutes an hour. Boom, right? That's me done. Now I know what's going on. I don't need to see it every two seconds when I'm scrolling. And yeah, for I you was and talking I, to someone about this. Um, I think I think it was Carol Robinson in the last podcast that you want the information when you're choosing to have the information. You don't want yeah. to be fed it without you even realizing it. It's like you, like I have a news app on my phone. If I want to know what, like you know, and you'll hear things. If something is yeah, important yeah, enough, yeah. you'll hear it, and then I will go. I will make the conscious decision to go onto my news app. And read up on it, or like you said, turn on the nine o'clock news. Watch what I, you know, what I want to know as as a choice. But like that social media and that social media algorithm, particularly now, like the TikTokification of social media, where it's yeah, yeah. it's you're being fed videos, and we need to like. And I know that like I, like because I do social media a lot, I'm very aware of it. But I think a lot of people are not aware of the more you watch of something, the more they'll show it to you. So it's going yeah. to give you confirmation bias. So if you're anxious, if you're stressed, if you're feeling negative about everything, it's going to keep, and you're watching videos that are mm-hmm. showing you this stuff, it's going to keep showing you more of that. And you're going to believe, it's going to kind of solidify your opinions and your mindset on that. Um, like, it's funny, like, for example, like I hate Conor McGregor, can't stand him. I can't, couldn't be yeah. listening to him so but every now and again that fucker will show up on my tiktok feed yeah, yeah. and i literally be like oh as quick as i can i'm like i have to scroll past yeah, him because yeah. if i even watch 10 seconds of him he'll show up again and yeah, again and absolutely. again you know what i mean so yeah like which is a really clever thing the social media but it's really really scary um so we need to be conscious and we need to use it very carefully absolutely absolutely and I, like you said look i mean look i i live on my phone and on on the internet now with you know my line of work and everything that i'm doing and you know trying to get my content and my story and everything out there in in, in the same way that that you are so again we can fall into that trap very easily you know if because we spend so much time on it do you know what i mean like our businesses and our mm-hmm. lives are, are to a certain degree revolved around you know using social media as our way of marketing almost um but if you're if you've got somebody who let's say is commuting to work, um, and they're just constantly scrolling for that half an hour on the dark or on the bus or, or whatever, to get in in the evening time, and it's going, you just need to be very careful, as you said, yeah, about the echo chamber that you're living in, and and if you find yourself getting really anxious about things, try and sit back, think about it. Where okay, well, what today triggered me? What today made me really anxious? Or kind of use it, try and remove some of that. Just stop following. Yeah, just stop yeah, following this is, those. This is where, like, the journaling, and like, I always on my clients, I'm like, get journaling, get your thoughts yeah. on paper. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That if you feel yeah. a certain way, just to, yeah. to reflect, you know, like, reflect, why do I feel this way? Yeah, yeah. What what was it about that video, or what was it? Why, why did I wake up in a really good mood, and by the time I got to the office, I was stressed? Yes. You know, what, yeah. What happened within that 20 minute commute, or that? What did I hear on the radio? What did I see on social media? why all of a sudden was I in a really good mood walking out the door and now I'm just a ball of anger walking through the office or, or by the time I got there, something's triggered you along the way and you need to reflect and you need to look at it. Um, and we again, we just need to be a lot more aware of our own mental health, our own triggers, our own stresses. <clears throat> we all have them, you know. 
Um, yeah. some are going to be amplified more more than others, you know. Um, yeah. but, but everyone needs, and and that thing you do the journal. I do that with my clients too. Uh, the 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 journaling thing. It's a it's a great way of venting almost, and and some of that introspective work of you know looking after yourself, self care, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such an important conversation and I think the work you're doing is so important. Like, um, so keep doing what you're doing because it, it's so needed. And um, I look forward to it. Let me know when, you've, when you're organizing those free events because I'll, I'll advertise it on mine as well for anyone who um, is interested. And um, if anyone is interested in maybe like like inquiring about coaching with you or just, you know, wants to listen to your podcast or, you know, wants just to follow you, find any, out any more information, where is the best place for them to get you? Um, well, look, I'm, I'm, I don't, I do a little bit on TikTok and, and, and Instagram, but Facebook is generally, I'm, I guess I'm an outlad in that degree. Facebook is, is, is mainly where I am. Um, okay. but if you just, if you, if you either, so Matt Keenan, um, or just Google the anxious lad, you'll, you'll find me. Um, the the podcast is on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, all of the all of the usual places. Um, and then if you either, as I said, if you either Google Matt Keenan or the Anxious Lad, you'll you'll, you'll find me. Hit a follow, give it a share. I'd I'd appreciate it. Yeah, it'd be great. But yeah. Kate, on, on on your side, thank you so much for for having me on this morning. It was a like I said to you just before you hit the record, but it's nice to be a guest. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a yeah. different feeling. It's a different feeling being a guest on a podcast. So the pressure's really... a bit more, but it's good. No, it's good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. um no, thank you so much because it's it's really I know it's been a it's been a heavy conversation, but it's an important conversation to have. And I think the message to take from it is um to get talking, get listening more important. Absolutely. And hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, um, let's just start kind of like we we don't realise how much we could be saving someone's life by just listening making them feel heard absolutely absolutely and being there to support matt thanks so much hey, it's been a pleasure thank you so much all the best i just wanted to come on and say thank you so much for listening to the podcast and i really hope that you are enjoying the episodes and um, if i could ask for one little favor from you it would be to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast Um, And also, if you have the time, leaving a little review of any of the episodes would be hugely helpful. And anything you enjoy, please do share it on your social media, tag me in it or share it in your WhatsApp groups and let more people know about the podcast. All of these little things um, you might think doesn't make a difference, but it makes such a difference to try and grow this podcast and reach and help more people out there. So thank you so much. And then in relation to anyone looking to work with me, um, we are coming up towards the end of 2023 and at this moment the current Nourish, Move and Shine program is in full swing and that's bringing us all the way up to Christmas but I'm excited to announce that my group coaching Nourish, Move and Shine will be back on the 8th of January and I will be releasing some pre-sale spaces to this at the end of November at a little discount so make sure that you are on the priority list Um, You can do that through my website or if you go to the link in the bio of any of my social media pages, you'll be able to reach it that way. But my website is katehamiltonhealth.com. If you go there, you'll be able to make sure you're on the priority list and spaces will go out to my email list at the end of November for a few days around Black Friday. And then they will close again until after Christmas and then the spaces will open and we will be in full swing 8th of January to start the new year with fantastically good habits. Um, but, but if you don't want to wait that long, I do have some space available 
in my one-to-one coaching, which is available by application only. Again, you will be able to apply for one-to-one coaching through my website, katehamiltonhealth.com. So if you're interested in investing in you for the next few weeks, the next few months, and you'd like to work with me online on a one-to-one basis, head over to my website, fill out the application form, and you will hear from me soon. Thank you so much.